Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church. We're in this series called Blood, Guts, and the Goat. That's right. That's what this series is called. We're approaching the Christmas season, and I want us to really focus on why Jesus had to come to earth. I'm excited to be on this series. I think God's going to speak to you through it. Let's jump right in. Man, I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. I know that many of you are sick, and, uh, and I just pray for healing in your household, and I'm thankful that you're here. We are continuing this series, Blood, Guts, and the Goat. And if you brought a Bible, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 23 today, chapter 23. And if it's your first time, you're like, dude, this church preaches on Leviticus? Yes, Yes, we do, because we're just that gangster that we go for Leviticus right off the bat. Like, anyways, I'm excited about our time today and uh, excited for all of us to learn more about the Word of God. But let me just catch you up to speed where we've been so far. Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, it's written by Moses, part of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And, and basically, the theme of Levitic, Leviticus is two things. One, it's the holiness of God. That God is holy. And, and then the other thing is, is that a holy God wishes to dwell with imperfect, sinful people. So how is that possible? So what we see in Leviticus is an algorithm, a map, a plan of what humans can do so that God can dwell with them. And then what you're going to see is that it's impossible for man to keep up with the standards of a holy God. Therefore, we needed Jesus. And so though Jesus is not mentioned in the book of Leviticus, his fingerprints are all over it. It's a book about Jesus. And, and, and I'm a Jesus guy. And so I think the entire Old Testament is pushing towards Jesus. And, and, and what we're going to see in chapter 23 is a list of festivals and parties and feasts that God says, I want you to put on your calendar and I want you to do this for the purpose of training up the generation behind us and so that we remember who God is and what God has done. And, and I can get behind a God who tells us that we need to party on the regular. Like, I'm fine with that. These parties don't take place in a library. It's a lot more like a pep rally. So turn that frown upside down because we're here to celebrate today. My message is titled, Party Like a Hebrew. <laughs> party Like a Hebrew. And by the end, you're going to see that some of you, you need to party like a Hebrew because y'all can't even make it to midnight on New Year's Eve. We party for some very strange reasons here in the United States in 2022. There's some weird things that you guys celebrate. And by you guys, I mean yuns, y'all, us guys, you guys. It's some weird things. I've been guilty of some of them. I'm not even going to get into, because my wife is in this service, about how ridiculous it is that we're celebrating something called Valentine's Day when we all don't really know a single thing about what Valentine's Day is. But hey, listen, I'm for pumping money into the economy. I get trickle-down economics. I understand all of that, so we'll celebrate Valentine's Day. I'm not even going to get into that. What? And by the way, my wife... The first time that we had a baby, and by we I mean she, conned me into buying her a present for giving birth to our child. She called it a push present. <laughs> Taylor, you're a couple weeks late on this message. And I did buy that push present because I enjoy being married. Can I tell you something? Uh, it's a little embarrassing. You promise you won't tell anybody? 
Now one person said, okay. <laughs> one time before I had kids, I did something incredibly embarrassing. I had a birthday party for my dog. I appreciate your willingness to admit that in a public forum. It may have been a bit premature. Even when I had a birthday party for my dog, like we went to a place and got cookies made that were edible for dogs. It was called a barkery. I'm so embarrassed. Out of everything in my past, this is what I'm most embarrassed of. That's not true. The funniest part of that story, though, is my grandfather didn't realize that those were cookies for dogs and he ate them. He said they were a little dry, but tasted pretty good. But here's the most ridiculous. Okay, just let me be cynical for a minute. It's one of my spiritual gifts. It, it, I, I recently got invited to a preschool graduation party. I had to buy tickets to this graduation. They had professional photos taken that you could buy with a cap and gown to graduate preschool. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Mr. Olin Mills, before I buy this picture, what is the criteria to graduate preschool that's so worth celebrating? Be potty trained? Finger painting? So good, yes. But, but, but hold on. Because some of you are like, Jason, like, tone it down a little bit. I am for celebrating. I'm for parties. I like it. Here's the thing. Is I don't necessarily think that it's the actual party that's the reason we're celebrating most of the time. It's the idea that we can get together, that we can eat food, that we can laugh, that we can spend time as a family, that we can spend time with our friends. And I'm all for that. In fact, Leviticus 23 talks all about it. But I do want us during our time today to understand this phrase, what you celebrate, you elevate. And what are we celebrating? And what are we ignoring? You see, what we're going to be turning into, leaning into during Leviticus 23 is an area of holiness that you may never have thought of. Because I didn't until I started prepping for this message a few weeks ago. It's, It's this idea of the element of time. The holiness of time, the dimension of time that God requires us to submit to him. That part's difficult for me. You know why? Because if you're submitting your time to God, then you also submit that his timeline is superior to yours and you're going to be okay. It's this terrible, terrible, terrible curse word called patience. I trust God you in the process that it will happen when you, you are ready for it to happen patience. I I get submitting my money to him. I even understand physical actions and having elements that are holy. That's That's not that difficult for me. What's difficult for me is because I am so task oriented. And the very first one that he talks about is this idea of the Sabbath. We're going to spend most of our time on the Sabbath and the rest we're going to move a little bit quicker in what exactly a Sabbath is. But let me tell you why this is difficult for me is because it forces me to be still and know that he is God. If you show me a human being who is stressed out, who is full of anxiety, who is having a difficult time sleeping, who, who, who has all of these different issues that they're not in a good state, I will every single time show you a human being who does not prioritize a Sabbath. Every time you stressed out, When was the last time you took a Sabbath? Not a day off, a Sabbath. Now, if you don't know what that means, you will by the time we're done. 
Leviticus 23, verse 1, as promised. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Sacred. And then here's verse 3. It's not on the screen, but it should be in your Bible. It's verse 3. There are six days when you work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly where you are not to do any work. Whether you live, it is the Sabbath. Wherever you live, it is the Sabbath to the Lord. So God sets the example on the seventh day of creation to rest. Now, what's very interesting about this, and some of you need to hear this, the rest of these festivals, the rest of all of these different sacrifices, everything we've been talking about is a result of human sin. It's all in a fallen world. But the Sabbath is not. The Sabbath was given by God to humans as a commandment before sin ever entered the equation. So the Sabbath isn't a result of sin. The Sabbath is, this is how God designed you and I to live our best life, to recharge our batteries. A day off is because you're tired from work. A Sabbath is to recharge your energy for work. And some of you are burning it at both ends. And how's that working out for you? In Israel, even today, they take the Sabbath way more serious than you and I do. And it's kind of cool because it's a family affair. When we went there a couple years ago, called Shabbat, starts at sundown on Friday and goes till sundown on Saturday. And, and what happens on this is it is a scheduled dinner for the family or the extended family, sometimes even neighbors. They gather together. It's on a calendar. It's elevated. The men come home from work a little early most of the time. Sometimes they bring flowers to their wife on Shabbat. And it's something to look forward to because God gave us this rest. And what they do is they have an amazing meal. It's probably Chick-fil-A. And they gather around the table with all of their family and friends and they talk about what God did. They remind them of the Torah. They remind them of the things that God did. Then they talk about what God is doing and they celebrate what God is doing. This is today. And then they talk about the coming Messiah that when Jesus comes back for his people and that he has prepared a place for us and what it's going to look like. And they do it as a family. Now I ask you this. Are you ready for some preacher guilt? What would this country look like if we had a scheduled time to sit around a table as a family and we celebrated what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do, and our children are hearing it from us weekly, what would this world look like? Because this is how God designed for it to be. Instead, what happens is, is we're falling into the same trap as Joshua and the generation behind us is growing up that does not know our Lord and they worship the God of the Baals. We're one generation away. So if I was the devil and I had to take out the United States, because I believe fully that the, Lord is, the, the, the devil is trying to take away the United States, 
Because if he can take the United States away, there's no country in the world that sends out more missionaries and more money for the kingdom of heaven to the entire world than the United States. And not only that, but they're the world police that are holding a lot of evil at bay. And if the United States is gone, a vacuum is created that will be filled up by evil. I believe that the devil needs to take out the United States of America. And if I were the devil, if I wanted to take out the United States of America, the first step that I would have to do is take away the church. And I would have to divide them so much that they spend so much time bickering about things that don't matter and they have no backbone to stand for the word of God. But if I wanted to take out the church, I'd have to do something a little bit further before that. Then I would have to take out the family unit first. And I would need a divorce rate that was skyrocketing. In order to do that, I'd have to do one other thing first and I would go after the husbands and fathers because the husbands and fathers can be the leader of the families, the families can be in the local church, and the local church can influence the United States of America. That's what I would do. What happened with the Sabbath and the New Testament is kind of what happens here. This man tried to complicate it. And I had this thing called the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, I think, in which it was a collection, it still exists, a collection of rabbinic teachings, teachings of the rabbis, oral traditions, things they said they had to do. And they started adding all these things. And, and, and just with the Sabbath, there was 20, there is 24 chapters. Some of you haven't read 24 chapters of a book in your whole life. There's 24 chapters of what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. And they were so mad because Jesus wasn't abiding by it. He wasn't listening to it. And so they, they tried to tell him, oh, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do that. And listen to Jesus' response. Oh, it's so fantastic. This is in Mark 2.27. Words are read. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift from God for us. But you're acting like man has to do all of these things. Man's a spiritual rocking chair. What you celebrate, you elevate. Now, imagine again if we took the family unit that had a weekly scheduled time to get together, share a meal, and talk about God, and teach our children about God, and that was a priority. They scheduled it. It's what you did. This is what our family does. The same way that we schedule and make a priority our children's traveling t-ball team. But you know, the average Christian, the good ones, come to church 1.7 times per month. Is that a recipe to train the generation behind us to make this place a priority? Because these festivals, you're going to see they gathered together. Do you know the average Christian and the good ones read their Bible less than 10 minutes total per week? How are we going to train up the generation behind us if we don't make it a priority in our own lives? Your kids aren't going to remember anything that you buy them. It means nothing if we don't train them so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Now, don't worry. If you have never done this or you failed all the way up to this point, it's not too late. We're going to go through it. I want you to hear uh, what Paul says in Romans 14, because people started arguing in this Talmud, and even today, about when the Sabbath is, and they're so hung up on it, and there's entire denominations that are built upon this argument of when the Sabbath is, and I'm not going to say who they are, but it's really just religious people arguing with religious people while they ignore the things that are important. 
<laughs> Should have said that out loud, probably. The church tends to celebrate Sabbath on Sunday, today. And the reason is, is it was just tradition of the early church. They chose that because that was the day that Jesus rose from the grave, the Sunday, the first day of the week. That's when Pentecost happened. And it's just what they've chosen. But listen to what Paul says in Romans. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. As Paul say way of saying, it doesn't matter when. It just matters that you do. And when you do, do it like the Bible told us to. Don't get caught up in the details and the should we do this, should we do that, what day is this? No, 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 you're missing it all. You're saving pennies and losing dollars. Celebrate it. The second one, party, is the Passover. So um, if we were talking about Sabbath, the R word for that is rest. If we're talking about the Passover, the R word for this would be redemption. This is the second festival that, again, they're all based upon the Sabbath. So it's going to be a little quicker. Verse 4. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim in their appointed time. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So you'll see that these are all built on sevens. So that seven, the Sabbath, is the emphasis. So they're all multiples of seven. On the Passover, you can see what it represents in Exodus 12. It's the last plague in Egypt. And it's the death of the firstborn. And it deserves a whole message by itself. And at some point, there probably will be. But they would t take a perfect, unblemished lamb, sacrifice it, take its blood, and put it across the doorpost. And the death angel would pass over that establishment. Because the last plague was death, firstborn. And so what they would do on this Passover is it was a yearly reminder of the blood of the lamb, which you can see has everything to do with Jesus. So they have what's called a Seder meal. It doesn't taste that great, but it's kind of cool if you've ever done one of those. And, and, and basically it's the exact Passover meal they would have. And it, it acted as, as, as twofold. Um, it acted as a commemorative. So what God did when they escaped slavery from Egypt, but it also is predictive, commemorative as well as predictive because it is telling us that Jesus would come one day and that hit the Messiah's blood would be sufficient. So that's your Passover. Number three, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened Bread. Hey, we're covering a lot today. So I hope you packed a hard hat and a lunch because we're getting to work, church. The R for this would be restoration. Restoration, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Leviticus 23, verse 6. On the 15th day of the month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly. There's that word assembly, gather together and do no regular work. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was in your home, which is tied into our communion with the Passover. But then it also was designed to do it as an assembly, as a group of people together. Now, now I remember thinking, why does the bread have to be unleavened? Because let's be honest, the wafer for communion and those yeast rolls you get at the restaurant that are unlimited, 
It's a big difference. And, and it's really more of, again, all of this is built upon remembering the past. Is, is when they fled Egypt out of slavery, they didn't have time to let the bread rise. So they had to hastily flee. So they just grabbed what they had and packed it so they could go. It's like, let's get out of here. And so they didn't have time for it to rise. It was unleavened. It was like little cakes, little flat cakes. And, and, and so again, this meal and this festival is tied into remembering what God has done. As I was studying this particular spot, I kind of got convicted with something, man, and something I got, I'm going to, this week, take care of. Is This festival was to remember the day that they were freed. And what, what got convicted me of just this morning was, do my kids know my testimony? Do my own children know when I was saved and the difference it's made in my life? Because if they don't, I have failed them. I don't just want them to know my testimony. I want them to know the testimony of my family because we have believers that trace back generations and I want them to know that. See, we failed. If, if, if your kids can name all of Santa's reindeer but they can't name the 12 apostles, what are we elevating? I hope that convicts you the way that it convicts me. My life is ruined now. 1 Corinthians 5.8. I want you to hear what Paul says about this. Here's what I want to do. So for these festivals, I want to attach it to the writings of Paul. Because Paul was a Pharisee's Pharisee, man. He was educated. He had a following before he got saved. He, he taught all of these things. He would have probably had the entire Torah memorized. I don't even have more than three phone numbers memorized. I don't. I did. I don't. And so on his, in his writings, he references all of these festivals so many times. I told you week one that the book of Leviticus will unlock the New Testament. So listen to what he says. There, uh, 1 Corinthians 5.8. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old leavened bread that's leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What Paul does right here in a very genius way of writing is he's basically saying, don't, don't, Take with you what you had when you were in slavery. Take the new stuff with you and let's put the truth in it. Don't, don't, don't sit there and hold on to the ways that had you in bondage. No, no, no. Let those go. And let's have some new bread with sincerity and with truth. Don't, don't return as the dog does to its vomit. No, no, no. Something new is about to happen. I love it. Okay, the fourth one is actually my favorite. At least to think about. It is the Feast of First Fruits. Now, now, this involves partying. This involves food. It involves a good time. It's the Feast of First Fruits. If this was the R for it, it would be representation. It took place in early spring, so you'd wait a little bit. And it's at the beginning of what they call the barley harvest. So when they first had the harvest come in, so wheat and barley... And, and I love what happens here because when the first thing arrives, they go ahead and take it, they celebrate it, and then they submit it to the Lord. And what it is, is it's a celebration of what God has done. But the best 
best part is it's a celebration of what he's going to do. They don't just say, thank you, Lord, for providing this. They say, thank you, Lord, for providing this. We're going to give it to you. And in the process, we're going to celebrate the rest of the harvest that's going to come. And it's going to be epic. They are acting out. They are speaking in faith with both words and actions. This festival, this feast changed my prayer life. Let me tell you why. Because I'm not just going to pray for the needs right now. I'm going to give God the glory for what he's also going to do on the other side of when those needs are met. So I'm not just going to pray for your diagnosis right now. I am. But it's not just that. No, 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 no. I'm going to pray that God will heal you. I'm going to thank him that he's going to heal you. And then I'm going to pray that when someone else is going through that diagnosis 10 years from now, that you're going to be able to minister to them because you're going to be like, dude, I've been there. I made it through that. That's how our prayer life changes because we're praying about what he's going to do. I remember when my wife and I were in marital counseling and our marriage was in a state where I didn't know if it was going to survive. I remember our counselor saying, I'm going to pray not just that your marriage gets restored, but that one day the two of you are going to be used by God to speak to somebody whose marriage is on the, the verge of divorce. And you're going to be able to be used by God. That's how he turns beauty into our ashes. That's the festival of the first fruits. But we don't want to pray that out loud because what happens if God doesn't? Some of you want a healing. Some of you want a pregnancy. Some of you want God to show up in some ways, but you don't want to say it publicly just in case he doesn't. The festival of first fruits says, I am going to submit the first of it to you, God, trusting that the rest is going to come. I'm going to submit the first fruits of my income, trusting you that you will provide the rest instead of just give you at the end of the month what's left as a tip for your service, Lord. And if you don't answer my prayers, then I won't tip. Ooh, preacher conviction right there. 23, verse 9. Don't worry, we're not passing the offering plate again. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you and reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. So you take the sheaf, right? And you walk up and you start waving it in the air like you just don't care. But don't worry, I have to look stupid with you. Listen to what happens next. Then the priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So after you do that, Monday morning, I got to get it. I got to wave it in the air like I just don't care. It's designed to be in public. Verse 12, on the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb, a year old without defect. That part's going to be important because we're about to tie this into the New Testament. So they would give the first fruits to the Lord, and then they would sacrifice a lamb without defect, without blemish, a, without spot. And here's why it's my favorite. Listen to what Paul does so beautifully. I love the word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits 
of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What Paul does right here is he says the resurrection of Jesus was the first fruits. You see, we think that the resurrection of Jesus is the end. Like he finally defeated the enemy. It's over. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says that when Jesus rose from the grave, that was the first fruits. That was the lamb that was sacrificed, saying that the best is yet to come. Jesus was the first one. And because he rose from the grave, you and I know that the best is yet to come, that he's come to, to, gone to prepare a place for us. And that all of those who have fallen asleep, all of those that we love, all of those that have had physical death, oh, that is not the end. Oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus' resurrection was the first fruit. Uh, the, the Bible in the New Testament says that he gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing he will come for his people. Did you know, Brett, that I can't actually prove to you that when you die, you're gonna go to heaven? I can't. I wish I could. I wish I had something in my pocket that I could just be like, hey, Jesus is real. And when you die, if you give your life to him and ask forgiveness, you get to go to heaven. And here's the proof. I wish I, I did. But the proof is in the resurrection of Jesus. And, and I love the idea of the first fruits was a celebration that more will follow. It's called an act of faith. I'm celebrating now that those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, that we will be reunited, that they are in the presence of the Lord. It's an act of faith that the best will show up. Number five, the festival of weeks, also known as Pentecost. Pentecost. Oh, I can hear you Pentecostals being like, oh, we're finally getting to this. And you Baptists are sweating, going, oh no, we're finally getting to this. <laughs> Some of you have no idea what that means, and that's okay too. Uh, this would be the R, would be recognition. And, and, and I wanted to talk about Pentecost for a moment. First of all, Pentecost just simply means 50, and it's important. And in fact, during Pentecost, uh, Orthodox Jews today, they, they don't sleep for 24 hours, man. They party for 24 straight hours. As I said earlier, some of you can't even make it to, to midnight on New Year's Eve. Now, I'm not saying you party for the next 24 hours, but if you want to party like a Hebrew... What happens at Pentecost is, is that it means 50 because it's 50 days after the Passover. And this is going to be important. Because we're going to end our time today taking communion as a group of believers. And it ties in perfectly to these festivals. And I think communion is going to be a little different than it's ever been for you today because of this study. Leviticus 23, 15 through 17. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to, so by the way, so we have seven and seven weeks. So those of you in remedial math, seven times seven is 49, which is my favorite Bible verse because seven times seven is the number of God. It's also for the 49ers, God's football team. Just remember that. Hey, boo, a preacher in church. But this is important, right? Because you have seven Sabbaths, which is 49, and on the 50th day you have Pentecost, which means 50. 
count off 50 days from the Lord after uh, the day after the Sabbath, then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. For wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of ephah, the finest flour, baked with yeast, and a wave offering of the first fruits of the Lord. So it's tied in. Sometimes they're used interchangeably. And, and, and here's what I love about this feast of Pentecost is all on purpose, all designed, Jesus dies, raises from the grave. We have historical documentation that Jesus of Nazareth for the next 40 years was seen here on earth. He was seen in his resurrection, re resurrected body. He met with one person. He met with groups of people. He met with whole crowds. He ate. He drank. He was here for 40 days. And then he ascends back up to heaven for the final time till he comes back down for his people. And after that, 10 days later, they meet in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit whoo, comes down and fills the believers. And now... The church is birthed, and it's all according to the numerical plan put in place thousands of years earlier. If that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't give you the goosebumps, you need to make sure you have a pulse. I've seen some of you cheer when Alabama loses, which doesn't happen nearly enough. Can we cheer for when the Holy Spirit filled the people on Pentecost? Come on, church. And now we're going to move on so you free wills calm down. Verse uh, number six, festival number six, four months pass, and then we have the Feast of Trumpets. Four months later, so a little bit of time. And this speaks to, uh, the R would be a reminder. Now, if you're a hopeless romantic, this one might be your favorite. Let me tell you why. Have any of you uh, got married recently or you have someone in your family who got married and they send you a little postcard that's called Save the Date? It's like so cute. Like it always has these two people and they're always looking at each other or their faces are deaf, not social distancing. Cause, and I'm sitting there in my mind thinking, you're never going to look at each other like this again. Like you'll never pose for a picture side by side. And I hope you're young when you do it because if I looked at my wife side by side, I got eight chins right here that no Photoshop in the world can fix. But it's a save the date, man. It's cute. But what is it? It's saying, hey, I'm letting you know that this important date that means the world to us is coming. So make sure that you don't book anything else. It's a save the date. That's what this Feast of Trumpets is. It's telling them, save the date because the Day of Atonement is coming soon. And I want to remind you that you have just a little bit of time to prepare for the Day of Atonement. In today's society, it would be kind of like when you're about two months out from swimsuit season. And it's like, hey, you got two months to get that winter weight off that you got during hibernation because it's almost swimsuit season, right? It's the same idea as, hey, atonement's coming. It's going to be the big one. So save the day. And they, they, they blow what's called a shafar. It's a ram's horn. If I was an epic preacher, I would have had one right now, but I just don't. There's an app on your phone that you can press a button and a shafar. I don't know who would ever use it for whatever purpose, but, but that's okay. But the, the, the Feast of Trumpets, sometimes just referred to as the days of a repentance or the days of awe. It's like, hey, be ready. Be ready. And then number seven, as promised, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And, and I'm going to very briefly talk about the Day of Atonement because next week, the entire sermon is about the Day of Atonement. It involves a goat and a scapegoat. 
one of these are going to die next week. I saw, <laughs> and then like the rest of you weird hunters were going to stuff its head and hang it on a wall. It makes no sense. Leviticus 23, 26 through 29. This is Yom, Yom Kippur. The Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly. Did you hear that? Again, this is all tied for us to celebrate in our homes, but also to gather, gather together. So what's the point of church? This is what God established. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. I love that phrase, deny yourselves. Like, I don't feel like doing it. It's not about you. Do not do any work on that day. Now, that's a Lord I can get behind. Come on now. He's telling us to not do any work. Also, his first commandment to man was be fruitful and multiply. Can I get an amen for your boy? Not the multiply part. I'm done with that. Verse 28. I should have stayed with my notes. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made before the Lord your God, those who do, do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. This is the one, by the way, that is the only one that's really kind of solemn. It's because it involves death. And it involves having to look at yourself and, and really examine yourself and what exactly is God forgiving you for. And again, we're going to talk all about that to the point of nauseam in seven days. Verse 8, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. This is the last one that we're going to cover. It's a Sukkot in Hebrew, as I'm sure some of you call it in your homes. Sukkot. Uh, and, and, and this one right here is the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booth. And the R for it is relocation. And really what it's going to show is during the 40 years in the desert. Now this one is my least favorite because it involves camping. I'm not all about camping. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Can I, can I go off the notes for a second? It's, it's just rhetorical. Uh, is, what I don't get is when you go camping, Jeremy, like, I don't care how nice your camper is, it's not as nice as your house. I don't care how comfortable your bed is, it's not as comfortable as the one at your house. I don't care how good your AC is, it's not as good as the one at the... House, I don't care how good of a cook you are, it's not as good as what you can make at the house. So you're going to pay a ton of money to live in the woods like a homeless person. <laughs> I have a job so I don't have to go live in the woods like a homeless person. I just don't get it, y'all. <laughs> but if you like to camp, this is your jam. Yeah, we go camping. I've got a half a million dollar camper with... Uh, down goose down pillows and and that's not, if you're going to camp just camp do great value version of your house okay verse 33 shame on me the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins and it lasts for how long? Seven days. You're camping for a week. Verse 40, on the first day you were to take branches from the luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees. By the way, now, God loves all of his creations, but it feels like the, the palm tree is his favorite. You see that show up in a lot of scripture. 
and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. Now, so what they would take is it's a little lean-to. And they would gather in this courtyard and they would all camp. It's kind of like a Christian Woodstock, right? And they would all be around and they would, they would celebrate. If you grew up in a church like me, it's kind of like family camp or church camp. You remember how cool that was? It was all the people that you were in church and you would gather and you would sing and you would celebrate and you would remember. That's what God wanted to be done yearly. And they would live in these little booths. For what purpose though? Verse 43, here's the purpose. So that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. They gathered so that the generation behind them would know. Imagine as a kid how cool that would be for a week to go camping with all of your friends and to hear about what God was doing in their lives and what God did and you would learn and you would celebrate and it was designed to be a family affair. What I see out of all of Leviticus 23 is that God established things for them to do on the calendar so that they would remember no matter how busy they got so that they could have children grow up in the environment where it's a part of what we do. But if I can be like the get off my lawn angry old man for just a moment, the two most sacred things that are on our calendar as you and I in the church is Christmas and Easter, the birth of Jesus and to celebrate his resurrection from the dead. But yet, my kids sometimes know more about Jolly Saint Nick than they know Jesus of Nazareth. What you celebrate, you elevate. Easter. Now this isn't an anti-Santa, anti-Easter bunny. We celebrate those in my house. Okay? That a giant mammal goes in your yard and lays eggs for you to find, which is physiologically inaccurate. Some of you are just thinking of that for the first time. As I referenced before, if your kids can name more reindeer than they can the 12 disciples, we have a problem, church. What you celebrate, you elevate. So what I want is I want my kids to be a part of what God has done, what God is doing, what God is going to do one day. And because I believe that we have seen what happens with a generation of churchgoers that don't make reading the word of God and don't make church a priority in your home, is that your kids, if it's not a priority to you, they're not even going to do it. And then what happens is, is that we have people come in and tell them that what God said in his word is not exactly accurate. And they believe it because they didn't hear it from anywhere else. 